Welcome everyone. This is the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. So this segment is going to talk about board games. Dave over at Deep Percentile asked me for some game recommendations and I thought I'd bring in an expert. So I've got Arfed here. You've heard on the Spike Pit podcast. Arfed, you want to say hi and let folks know your background with board games? Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah. People probably know me as Spike Pit's brother. <laughs> That's how originally I got into uh, doing a few call-ins and things like that. Um, when it comes to board games, yeah, long history in board games going back into sort of the 80s um, when we used to buy games from like MB Games. Used to be like a bit of a tradition, Christmas board game, um, play with the family, sitting in the caravan, rain coming down. Good memories of, yeah, just uh, evenings of, of games. Uh, I saw one the other day, uh, Dinosaurs, Island of the Dinosaurs or some One of these really old games uh, just brings back nostalgia and, you know, you see pictures online and that. Uh, a lot of them not available anymore. But, yeah, I've um, got back into it probably about 10 years ago. Um, collection has just expanded massively. Um, it is a bit of an addiction, probably, you know, buy new yep. games, same as role-playing players, buying their new books, new systems, always looking for the best game. Um, you play it one or two times, goes on the shelf, got a shelf of unplayed games. Same sort of thing as, a yeah, a role-playing collection, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I've done the same thing where I've got that massive collection of games. And <laughs> it, the, the problem is there's some I, I haven't even got to play yet. I haven't got on the table, um, which, which is a shame. The, uh, I, my yeah, son's in No, go ahead. Yeah, similar for me um, with a collection of games. You know, you have the, uh, the shelf of shame, they call it, don't they, or whatever, where you've got a collection there. Um, but the thing I would say different with board games compared to role-playing games is a lot of them come out, they do these limited print runs and you never see them again. So, you know, you say, oh, I really like the look of that or, you know, that's got some good ideas and you feel obliged that you've got to buy it in case you can never get it again. Um, so you do stack them up. Whereas role-playing with the PDFs and things like that, I think are probably more readily available for longer periods of time, you know, even you know, stuff that goes right back, you can probably still find. I think that's a great point, especially now there are so many board game manufacturers that are using Kickstarter to publish their games, and some of the games are Kickstarter exclusive. So if you don't back on Kickstarter, then you're going to be stuck looking on eBay or secondhand sellers or somebody that's bought up copies and then are selling it at inflated prices. So Yeah, yeah, the prices do rocket as you say, when you've got those uh, exclusive Kickstarters. Uh, and they are taking advantage of that, I think, in some ways. You know, the prices, even the Kickstarters, do you want this extra two figures, limited edition, that really don't add to the game, but, you know, adds another 20 bucks on, or, uh, yeah, 20 pounds, whatever, um, throws the prices up. Um, and when you when it goes to retail, you find out the prices are probably similar or sometimes even cheaper than the Kickstarters was, which, yeah. you know, you, you do feel a bit cheated uh, when you look back at it. But, yeah, there's, there's definitely some good companies out there doing some good Kickstarters, and I would recommend um, having a look, but being cautious. Yeah, that's excellent advice. So the, 
so what Dave was asking me about is he likes, of course, he likes the role play. And he initially was asking about board games that duplicate that role playing experience. And, and I'm going to let you talk about that here in a second, because I know you have some thoughts on that. But his so his, what he was mainly looking for were games he can play with his kids, games that he can play by himself if his kids aren't around. And then also games that are in print, so he's not trying to track down. Like my favorite dungeon crawl game by far is the old Warhammer Quest from the 90s. But you're going to spend hundreds or, you know, it it's super expensive these days. So it's not realistic to try to track that game down. So, but but you have some thoughts on the idea of doing, trying to d duplicate the RPG experience of board games. Yeah, I mean... I think I mentioned this before my brother's podcast quite a long way back. Um, but I think there are people that have got a, a board gaming group or people that are happy to play board games, whether it be family or friends. Um, but when you, they sort of put the role playing sort of experience across to them, they're very negative or, you know, they, they feel silly. They don't want to sort of pretend to be someone or acting or whatever. Um, so it puts them off. So I think some people are looking for that role-playing itch with a board game um, with these dungeon crawls and games like that that they can get. So they're sort of still getting that role-playing feel and some of the elements of it, but they've still got people that want to be involved that you know won't sit there and just have a, a book in front of them and a character sheet and they just won't engage in that way, but happy to play uh, a board game for two or three hours hours you know with like I say family or friends so I think ideally some of them would probably want to be role players um, and they're just doing the board gaming as a best a best uh, thing when they can't find a role-playing group or uh, not getting online whatever whatever the reason is they can't get it to the table sort of thing. No, I think that's probably Accurate. Um, so I guess one thing I want to clarify, I guess, not from what you said, but for our listeners that may not be familiar with board games, often you'll see board games broken in two major categories. You'll hear about Euro games and you hear about Ameritrash games. And I don't know if you want to comment on those two categories and then we can go into a list of games. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't get too heavily involved in the categories and stuff, a bit like role playing. I think it, it sort of clouds the water a bit, but yeah, I mean, the Euro trash, I would say, is mainly driven by figures or miniatures. You know, a lot of it is they're putting miniatures in, sometimes unnecessarily, to be honest, uh, especially when it comes to Kickstarters. It, it seems to be the buzz and the thing that draws people in. Uh, and I'm guilty of it myself. You know, you see these really nice miniatures and it does draw you in. But then you find out you could have done just the same with half the size box with cardboard little tokens or whatever um but yeah i think american trash that they're, they're, they're definitely sort of um more miniature based um they draw on some of the films for inspiration and things like that whereas your euro games are very very heavily sort of mechanical um a lot of worker placements things like that um maybe in some people's eyes sort of drier sort of material you know, collecting things and selling things and not shooting and crash bang wallop type games where the American trash is definitely got that more of a feel. But like I say, the lines between the two categories are somewhat blurred and 
um, mm-hmm. I will play any game, you know, I'll, I'll try any game. The only thing that sort of slows me down when I'm looking at games is uh, the length of playtime, basically. You know, once it starts going above three hours, uh, that generally will put me off, um, especially if it's a new game I haven't played, where you're going to play for two hours, realise you've made a bit of a hash of it at the start, and you're sort of just sitting it out, waiting for someone else to win um, for the next two or three hours. So them long games are the ones that probably put me off, to be honest. I, I can understand that. Yeah, the so for me, the pretty much the exact same thing that I'll play anything. The Ameritrash games tend to be a lot of randomization, a lot of dice rolling and whatnot, where the Euro games sometimes, although, like you say, it's super blurred, but, you know, they might be more of a puzzle game, not not a puzzle, but, but where you're trying to figure things out. You're trying to do that strategy of deciding three or four moves ahead where with yeah, Ameritrash yeah, yeah. you're, you're rolling yeah. the dice and seeing what happens so yeah, yeah probably a bit more luck or random based mm-hmm. in some ways rather than building an engine or yeah working out what is the best strategy and yeah just trying to calculate it almost with some of the Euro games right so that brings us to a game that I don't have on our list and hold on just one second here Mage Knight's the game I was thinking of. That That's one where you need to – it kind of blurs the line there some. But you could definitely play solo or kind of – you don't have to play Mage Knight competitively. You you could each go off and do your own thing on the map. You might fight at some point. But that's, that's one where you want to use strategies to go through. I don't know if you've ever played Mage Knight. I haven't played Mage Knight. I have played the Star Trek Frontiers one, um, which is basically – the one that came after that using the same sort of engine and very similar mechanics so yeah i get an idea of what what you're saying with that um you can play it competitive like you said or you can play as a co-op i remember sort of taking on the borg as a co-op um game which was particularly tough but i did find it quite a long game and quite drawn out to be quite honest with you um some of the rules not particularly well written on the Star Trek version. I don't know if the Mage Knight one had similar sort of complications um, with some of the rules where in one situation, the rules seemed to change to another. So it didn't, it didn't quite flow for me. Um, and I did end up um, passing that on and selling it on in the end. Just couldn't get it to the table uh, with the complexity. And yeah, a little bit confusing in places. Um, looks really nice. Had some great ideas, but just didn't quite snap for me. But I know Mage Knight was very popular. Right. You know, and, and they've recently out. come out with a box set of Mage Knight. Over here, it was like 90 or $100, but it had all the expansions and had this big, huge cube box. But it had yeah, everything yeah. in it. So I, I remember yeah. seeing that and in a store. A lot more fantasy-based than, you know, closer to your sort of D&D sort of standard um, realms and stuff um, that people would associate with. Right. So. Well, so one other thing real quick, I, I guess we sh- should m- mention before we go into a list of games are modern games, board games tend to be kind of like RPGs where the rules are fairly complicated for a lot of them. It depends what game we're talking about, but it, you know, for me, and maybe it's because I'm getting older and, and I don't play them every day, but if I'm, it's easier for me to break out one game and play it for a little while, especially like if I'm playing solo, I'll put it out on the table and play for a few days or, or whatever before I move on to the next one, because if I try to play one game, play the next one, go back and forth, 
I'll end up getting the rules mixed up because some of these games have quite complicated rules in them. I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah, I, I, I find it's it's always the little rules. That's the mm-hmm. problem. You know, it's you know the main mechanics you can remember, and you, you well, we do that and we do this, um, but it's that little rule in a certain situation where you know you haven't played the game for months potentially. Uh, even longer you come back and you've got the gist of it and you're playing through it and you get halfway through the game and oh we forgot that rule that you know when the king dies this happens or just a little rule that don't come up very often but it can be a massive impact in the game Um, so yeah that is a problem with having a big collection of board games remembering the rules I mean once I've played them I do tend to remember them pretty well um, and I probably don't go down the real high complexity games, uh, similar to the role play, and a lot of people steer clear of those, probably for very similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, especially online, I find that you know playing complicated role playing games, you know, it, it is hard to just get it across. Um, you've got to have a really good DM, GM, or um, people have got to be very familiar with them. So um, I think a lot of the board games are going going a little bit more simplified i mean there's still going to be the heavy ones out there the complicated ones but i think they're trying to yeah uh reduce the complexity to a degree um, okay i'm finding so with, with that idea of, of simplified ga- rules i guess the first one on our list i'm going to mention are the dungeons and dragons adventure board games and they, these started back years ago like maybe 2006 2005 with the castle ravenloft game and they produce one every few years since then. There are probably six or seven of them out now. They have a, you know, Tomb of Elemental Evil, and I'm looking around at my house. They, they have a whole bunch of them. I don't know if you've played any of those. They're like a simplified version of the D&D 4E mechanics, actually, because um, they came out back in, during the fourth edition days. Um, but those are set up being play solo or, or co-op. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I've seen them coming out, but I've never actually played any of them. I'll be honest. Um, it's just, it just felt too similar to what I was always already doing with the role playing is it's almost, why would I play a board game of the, of something I can just play as a role playing hobby. And, uh, it seemed to be like they were trying to replace it. And, um, if you're a true role player, I don't think a board game can do that. I don't think it can replace it. Mm-hmm. If you're um, a board gamer that likes the idea of role playing, I think you can basically scratch that itch and you can probably get enough out of it. If you're more of a sort of Dungeons and Dragons 4E sort of player, which is more tactical and more combat tactical based, then I think some of these board games are probably better suited to you in a way. And you maybe shouldn't be role playing, you know, if, if that's what you're interested in, more the tactical combat side of it. I think you could probably get more out of some of the board games uh, and move away from the role-playing. And similar, you know, some board gamers could probably move more to the role-playing. So um, there's definitely a crossover between, and people like both sometimes, obviously. Right, definitely, yeah. So so I guess maybe the zombie side and its various variants, I don't know if you've played any of those. They've gotten some medieval yeah. and dungeon variants of that. I've played the original zombie side. Um, Again, it looks great, um, very simple to play, had some you know, some good ideas with some of the noise mechanics and things like that. Um, but it was it was too 
uh, a bit too random and a, a bit too simple in some ways for me. Uh, it didn't quite work for me. I enjoyed it. I'd, I'd play it happily, but it wasn't one that I was going to add to my collection and you know get involved in that massive investment because I just churned it out, you know, expansion after expansion. Um, and again, I think it's the draw of the miniatures in some ways that people that just eat it up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like the Conan board game, which I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend for Dave because it's only head-to-head. You're only playing against other players. But the Conan game, I, I enjoy the game, but I bought everything for that. I'm, I'm a big Conan fan, and miniatures are beautiful for that game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was – I don't know. I sunk like $600 into that thing. That's yeah. a lot of money. Um, it's scary. Yeah. Um, so uh, how about Descent? So first edition Descent was head-to-head, but second – edition came out it was more co-op play yeah yeah i've got uh i've got both editions of descent uh again loved the miniatures at the time um when they come out and it's got some good board pieces and things and it's quite immersive and you get into it great selection of characters in descent um you know loads of heroes to choose from um with their special abilities and powers um when they moved to the second edition and they went a bit more, like you say, co-op or working as a team. There was a strange mechanic in it that I, I couldn't quite get my head around where you were knocked down and you could just keep getting back up, basically. Uh, so you never sort of got knocked out or killed or at least taken out of the, the, the mission so that you would have to wait for the next mission. And that it killed it a bit for me to be honest it's a bit like playing you know your fifth edition D&D where you feel invincible and you can't get killed um i still don't agree with that but sometimes when you're playing some of the lower level stuff you feel invincible and it it gave me that feel that you know whatever happened uh, as long as one of us is still standing the others would get back up the next turn and we'd be all right um where i mean obviously you can take that out of the game uh, when I've played it, I have, but it it just seems strange that they were sort of diluting the, you know, how dangerous it was really. But right. beautifully put together. Um, loved the dice system because they got like multiple um, solutions on the dice. You know, they've got the range, damage, all sort of combined onto the dice dice faces. So uh, once you get your head around it. It's very simple to play. You've got your movement, like I say, your range of shooting. Everything's on those dice, but all combined. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's a good game. I think it's a good system. Um, and it's well-supported. There are a number of – there are probably a dozen expansions or something like that. There's a lot of stuff out there for it. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to games coming and going and things like that, I mean, Fantasy Fight is probably one of the best for keeping games alive and, you know, supporting them. Um, the prices might be slightly higher than some of the other companies. But, you know, it is nice to think that, oh, yeah, if I buy this game, there's going to be more content if I really get into it and it's going to be continued. And, you know, the secondhand market's going to be there because they're, just they're just selling so much of it um so they're a good company to to go with if you're looking for a board game you want to keep keep supporting and playing yeah i i don't know if it's still in production you you talk about the you know the way way you can't die in that game i mean you can but it's hard to die in that game back i don't know 2006 2005 they picked up the license for dungeon quest 
and, and publish that. That that's a game where you'd <laughs> you, you die in the second, third turn if you weren't careful. I don't know if you ever played Dungeon Quest, but if it's if it's the one I'm thinking of, you, you could literally go around a corner and just fall in a trap. And that yeah, was it was a, a tile. It you had to over. place the tiles as you went, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I do remember that. Yeah, one yeah. of the that was uh, one of the older ones. Mm-hmm. I remember. I thought it originally come out from Games Workshop. It, I think it did. I think done, I think they picked up the license and published it. So they, it's probably out of print now because Games Workshop's pulled their license and they're doing mm. their own board games again. Um, yeah, so what do you, but that was brutal. Yeah. Well, so what do you think about get these deck building games? Things like, um, I don't know, Thunderstone or, or some of these other deck building games? Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, quite a lot of the original Thunderstone. Um, again, they started moving that forward and trying second editions and Thunderstone Quest, uh, I think is the name of the newest version. Uh, and they're sort of overcomplicating it. I, I don't really like the newest version, to be honest. Uh, I've still got the original. Um, there's a lot you can do with it. Massive, massive amounts of cards, availability and replayability, uh, similar to Domain, I don't know, uh, Dominion, sorry. Um, back in the day so but with that real role-playing theme on top um yeah still one of my favorites thunderstone i am quite a, a big fan of sort of deck building games in general so um yeah i would recommend thunderstone um but i would uh, go sort of on the older content more than the, the new content for me mm-hmm. um the new the new game you sort of felt like you're building up your party or your your deck um and then suddenly it just come to an end you know it was just a very quick once you got powerful enough it, you just killed the end guy and it just ended there was no sort of slowly building up points or you could see the end sort of gradually come in it, it, it just yeah it just shut off uh almost like oh, i've been playing this for an hour and a half building up and then it just ended um so yeah i'd recommend the the older versions but definitely a good game yeah, I, to, the one time I played the new ver- newest version, I had the exact same experience. I was playing it with a friend of mine, and and we had char- our characters were just about dead. But because you're able to, and, and I think the boss was there, and I might be thinking of a different game, but I think it was the boss, and maybe they had a couple minions. But as soon as you killed the boss, the game was over. You won the game, so it didn't mm-hmm. matter that the the you know these other monsters were in the room with your characters or anything, because as soon as you killed the bo- the boss, that was it. Yeah, it's just an instant, instant game end, which right. is okay if you can see it coming. But it, it was, what? Yeah, I don't know. It, it just didn't quite sit right for me. All the uh, investment in building up, um, and if someone basically got the jump on the the, the bad guy um, for whatever reason, um, yeah, the game was over. It didn't quite sit for me uh, as well as the originals. What, what do you think about? So Gloomhaven really took the, the gaming world to storm when that came out. And, mm. and that kind of falls in this fantasy genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really like Gloomhaven. Um, I know uh, Pete from Dragons, Dragons are Real, uh, is not a fan of it um, for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I liked, I mean, it's definitely based with 5e in mind. Um, it's got like a rest mechanic, short rest, long rest. Uh, things like that. It's one of these games where you use the deck as also your health. So as you're losing health, you know, you're losing cards and you, your deck is sort of reducing, you're losing some of your best cards. 
Um, the thing I did like with it, and um, I've basically taken to make my own game or use some of the, uh, the ideas when I made my own game recently, was the advancing your cards. So at the end, like an advancement, you can tick boxes on your cards. So a card may hit two or three enemies when you first use it but you can expand it so it can hit three or four enemies in future or it does more damage. So you're actually improving your skills or your abilities, which are cards. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got little story cards between adventures. It's got the big map where you uncover sort of locations, almost like rumors. Um, but it is very much a dungeon crawl. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. It is you put your figures on the table, you you know you do your tactical combat, um, but the different characters have got a lot of different feel to them, and there's you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of gameplay in there uh, in that box. It's a big box, but um, yeah, I, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, I, I guess one thing we should say with Gloomhaven, although I think they've come out with stickers now to mediate or mediate this, but it was one of the first ones I bought although there were Seafall and some other games like that before it that were, what, what do they call them, legacy? Basically, you're writing on the components yeah. and modifying the components. Yeah, legacy games. That's another thing that's taken off in the last couple of years, definitely. Um, I've got a few of them. Pandemic still being my favorite so far, uh, Pandemic Legacy. Um, but it is really alien and strange to, you know, a set of rules to say, rip this card up. It no longer exists. Uh, and most of us still put it in the box <laughs> yep. in a little section rather than rip it up, even, you know, and write on the board and uh, stick these stickers on. They're not meant to come off. And you're basically developing your own board. Mm. Uh, if you ever get a chance to play some of these games um, and comparing like Pandemic Legacy with another player and saying, oh, yeah, this happened in term three or year three or a month free in that game uh and they say oh no that didn't happen there that happened over in australia or america or you know and it just puts a massive completely different twist on the game um really clever how they've done it people worry about obviously a legacy you know it's a one-off you've spent this money you can't use it again but you get you know 24 games out of it potentially you know, right. and how many people, when they look at their board game shelf, can say, oh, yeah, I've played that game 24 times, mm -hmm. you know. And because it's a story and you do tend to play it time after time and you want to finish the campaign, as it were, you do get, I think, value for money. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, like, I like the legacy games. I think there's some good ones out there. There are some not so good. Right. So, so interesting mechanics. Let's talk about Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. And I guess XCOM would fall into this, and so would um. Well, these games that use computer apps and use different apps mm. to aid the gameplay. Mansion Madness pops to mind, and XCOM because you have to use the app to play those games. There's not an analog version of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think the app is a interesting way it's going. Um, you know, people have got their fears about it. You know, will the app stop or not be available in the future? Things like that. I'm not so worried about that. I'm not convinced that that will be an issue. Um, again, if they're from companies, you know, like Fantasy Flight and that, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'd be well supported. Uh, the Mansions of Madness one, it still plays as a single game. That's my only sort of drawback with it. You know, they're all single missions. So mm -hmm. 
you know you complete the mission the but, one but I again, like the with the, or, or, sorry i don't mean to interrupt you but if you buy the expansions and then you can isn't that oh no i'm thinking of a different app i apologize with the there's an app for descent where you can plug in the, what expansions you have and it'll mix and match the, the okay. components. Yeah, I haven't played yeah, the second that. edition yeah. of uh, Descent with the app. Um, the one I'm f more familiar with is the Journeys of Middle-earth, mm -hmm. uh, where that's massively app-driven. And I think, personally, so far, out of the ones I've tried, that one works the best. Um, you've got that sort of fog of war on the map. So that when you go into a new area, it uncovers the area, shows you what's there, what things you could find, what enemies you've got, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the good thing I like with it is it does all that sort of um, paperwork for you. Basically, it stores what cards you've, you've uncovered, what items you've unlocked, you know, what uh, equipment you've got. So you can just pack it away. And when you come back, you just load the game and you say, well, you know what's Legolas carrying, and you just pull out the cards and off you go again. It does all that that you used to have to mess about bagging up components with your figure and trying to work out who who did what and oh did we upgrade this card last time or so it does that work for you, which I think's really good idea really. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, it, it it removes the sort of GM aspect as well, especially with the Mansions of Madness. Um, when I played the first edition, the Mansions of Madness, the GM role where you had to sort of basically lay out the board, apart from making horrible mistakes that broke the game, you know, because you set it up wrong and they couldn't get to the room because you put the item in the wrong place or something, which was a, a big, big flaw or potential flaw. Um, it was really hard to to win as the players in the first edition. I don't know if you found that. Mm. Um, I found the, the time mechanic in that game um, was really, really brutal. If the GM was playing on his top game and throwing everything he could at you, um, I found it almost impossible to win as the party. Um, and I, I had that similar feeling with the Imperial Assault um, board game, which is, you know, again, a Fantasy Flight one had some of the same mechanics, um, but that, that, that didn't quite work for me. Loved loved most of the game with the elements of all the characters um the tiles the missions everything but i, I guess you you played the imperial assault game i, I have yeah it's it's basically yeah. a star wars reskin of descent second edition yeah but you, you had to you know you're sort of hand-to-hand -hand specialist your, your gun specialist and that but i felt that you was always being pushed to move so mm -hmm. if you've got like a sniper type character or someone that does a lot of shooting they just couldn't stand still and do shooting because you only had eight turns and you had you know so many tiles to move and you could only move so far a turn so when you looked at it you know you only had like one spare turn if you didn't move so it it took some of the tactics out for some of the character abilities like i say you know sort of because you could stand and shoot twice instead of move and shoot and things like that um so i think they just pushed the timer too much um yeah, and, and i think, I think you had a bit more variety yeah you could probably say that would descend second edition some of their missions as well the, mm. it, that reminds me of a game and it's out of print now so i can't, <laughs> I, I won't mention it because, because it's out of print so he won't be able to find it so but but things that are in print um so mansion madness the second edition you, you think 
because Dave likes Cthulhu or wants to like Cthulhu games. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it's got a similar sort of, like I say, feel to the Lord of the Rings one, uh, Journeys of Middle Earth, that I know he likes because um, he's already got that one. Um, so, definitely worth a look. Yeah, uh, I enjoy it. I just, I'd have liked it if it sort of continued from mission to mission a bit more or your characters improved or something. Um, whereas I think they're sort of standalone games. Um, right. but, but that's not a problem if, 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 you know, if you enjoy the single missions. But yeah, they were good. They, they are tough as well. But I like a challenge when I'm playing a co-op game. So that, that's not a problem. Um, so how about like well, Mice and Mystics? Is that, so you've talked Dave a little bit and, and we've kind of heard his kids on his podcast and, and all. I don't know if Mice and, Mice and Mystics is a little bit almost too simple to me, but it had some really neat mechanics where you're, you're reading the story bits out and, and act them out. Mm. It's a neat concept. I don't know how much experience I, you have with Mice I and think Mystics. It, yeah. I mean, it's, that's a game I, um, my brother bought or I bought from my brother. I can't remember now, but um, yeah, it definitely engages the, the kids. You know, they like to read the story bit out or have it read out to them. Um, and it does engage you on that level. The story side of it is definitely, um, definitely good. Uh, I think Dave's already got the Mice and Mystics game. Okay. Um, again, he, he tried it. They liked it. But, you know, after one or two plays, he finds that he's left on his own again and they've gone off to do something else. Um, whereas I, I'm not sure it plays a good solo, um, mm-hmm. a game like that. A similar game in the same sort of style is uh, Stuff Fables. I don't know if that's one you've come across. Um, very similar. You've got sort of soft toys that are basically looking out for the, the little girl that, in the family that's you know, having nightmares and things like that. Um, so they come to life when she's asleep and go off and sort of do adventures. And again, the story in that's quite good. Uh, some of the, ca- the characters in that. Um, got some good dice mechanics with sort of coloured symbols, so the different colours allow you to do different actions. Um, that works quite well. That's one that I've played with my brother and um, his two younger children. Uh, that seems to go down quite well. Um, got some got some little fiddly rules that you tend to forget again, um, so you end up having to look it up. That would be the only thing I'd say about that one is the, the rules are not particularly well written but they have got a lot of video support on how to play the games um which was a good idea right so let's see we'll try to start wrapping up here a bit talking about a couple of these other games um i think we cover pretty much the ones we we need to on on the list we talked about although game hammer work no sorry games workshop has started to come out with more board games and unfortunately there a lot of them are skirmish games and they're head-to-head games so I think Dave wants to get into that, but he would probably need a, you know, an adult or somebody that's going to engage to play on those, you know, some of these like Kill Team and some of these other newer Games Workshop games that come out. I don't know if you've played any of them. Well, I think they're just they're just reskins of all the old games, to be honest. Um, I mean, me and my brother were were big into Necromunda, uh, Mordheim, you know, back in the days when you had Man of War the epic games mm. all the games i loved they basically killed you know they yep. just stopped stopped supporting them um and the only ones they kept 
were basically Warhammer and 40, 40 Warhammer 40,000 back in the, back in the day. And it's still pretty much the same in the shops. Um, I know it's changing slightly now and you're saying, you know, they are coming back to those sort of games, blood bowl, no massive mm-hmm. one, uh, still one of my favorites. Um, so yeah, we still got all the original stuff, so I won't be reinvesting in the new stuff because it is just a reskin. But if if they are the same games, which I think they are, uh, definitely worth getting into. Uh, obviously, it takes up a lot of space with sort of terrain and you know buildings and things that you need for that sort of thing, table space as well. Um, but if you like collecting the figures and painting them, um, it is a better entry level for miniature gaming because you only need 10 12 figures a side or something you know so you don't need these massive hundreds and hundreds of figures for something like warhammer um so yeah i would definitely recommend if people want to get into the miniatures sort of skirmishy games i would definitely uh take a look at those yeah yeah so so thinking again but they might be playing by himself some and think maybe exploration kind of games and, and discovery kind of games, even though he didn't specifically mention that he may be interested in that. So then we mm. have things like Robinson Crusoe and seventh continent. And I don't know how much experience you have with those kind of games. Yeah. Uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. I think that's a good game. That is a tough game. Um, good co-op game though. I think it, it works best three or four sort of players, um, but you're definitely trying to outthink the game. You know, you know, you can see what's coming. You can see the weather's building. Um, it still throws you some curveballs with some of the encounters and things of wild animals and that coming out. But you know, you've got to get enough resources to last the winter, and you've got to get enough food and managing that. Um, it's similar to another game. Um, uh, it's gone out of my mind now. Um, there used to be a card crossroads. game. Oh. No, say so there used to be a card game Friday that was a really simple version of that. Yeah, yeah. Dead of Winter is the yeah, game Dead I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar sort of style. You know, you've got to get enough food. You've got to get enough um, to keep the, the inhabitants at the base camp basically alive. So Robinson Crusoe, I think, just took it to the next level. I think it, it, it plays a little bit better than Dead of Winter potentially. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a good game. And... Uh, you could probably play that um, solo player, whereas you couldn't play it dead of winter because you have that crossroads mechanic where you you need another player to read out the card to you in certain circumstances. But that was definitely the best thing with that game. Um, Seven Continent, I would recommend as a solo play game, definitely. Um, a lot of it you can only play once because once you've sort of discovered the cards and read the cards, you know, if you go back, it's still the same card. Uh, you probably forget it by the time you come round to it. Um, the missions probably taking four or five hours to play through, and there's quite a few of them. So a lot of content there. Um, some good mechanics. Again, rulebook not particularly well written for me, even though it's fairly simple. Uh, you still find yourself scratching your head a little bit when you first sort of one or two play through. But yeah, Seventh Continent I know was Kickstarter exclusive, but has now come out for sort of, I don't know if they're selling off stock that they had left off during a print run or whatever, but it's come right down in price as well. I mean, it's still like £60 or $60, but um, it's it's available, whereas it used to be silly prices on eBay was the only option. 
Right. Um, yeah. That, that's an interesting point with the rule books. We, you know, a, a lot of these games are coming from other countries, which is great. But, you know, some of the translations aren't the best. But if you can go to resources like Board Game Geek and you can find oftentimes fans will rewrite the rule books or they'll explain or the designers will get on there and explain. I've got the game Skull Tales and Skull Tales Full Sail. It's kind of like a pirate dungeon crawl kind of thing where you're sailing around, you're doing different things. But the rule book for that was, especially the original edition, was horrible. It was, it was really bad. It, it's a fun game, yeah. but you have to work to figure out how to play it. Yeah, I find with the, the hobby these days, uh, a lot of the companies are getting in on the video tuition mm-hmm. or playthroughs or how to plays. You know, there's a couple of guys that make a living from it now. Um, and they are really useful, those videos, even if it's just watch the video first, then read the rule book. And it just sort of starts to add up and make sense a lot quicker. Um, you know, some of these videos are only 10, 15 minutes and you've basically sort of learned the game or even sitting around the table and you all watch the video together before you start to play it if you've got a little bit of extra time. Um, But yeah, the videos, um, teaching the games is definitely a a new thing that's taken over and has made a massive improvement to trying to learn some of these games that until you get them to the table, they just don't quite make sense when you're reading it. It just you're just reading the words and it's just not sinking in but yeah um they're well supported now with board game geek you know it's, that's mm-hmm. a massive resource for board gamers definitely definitely so if we had to pick a couple games for dave, that dave might want to buy maybe for himself for christmas or recommend for his family get him for christmas what, what what would you say um if it was for dave to try with the family uh, something like I think the Seventh Continent would be a good option. It may be slightly pricey, and that might put him off. Um, there is quite a lot of time investment to play through it. Um, it has got a save mechanic where you can basically just collect up all the cards, put it back in the box, and then get it back out next time and carry on from the same spot. But it doesn't quite work because you lose all the cards apart from the one you finished on. So you'd have to read sort of um, research and explore again um, which doesn't quite work for me but um, it's a good alternative but I'm not sure that Dave should be trying to sort of replicate his role-playing hobby I think he should potentially break away and just try something completely different uh, whether it be um, a sort of more Euro game or like you said, American trash, but you know, like a deck builder or mm-hmm. a dice game or something completely different. I mean, a few favorites that have gone well with um, the family here. Uh, I don't know if you come across Quacks um, potion making game. Uh, it's been a big hit over here. Um, literally just buying components for a potion and just sort of making a potion in this pot it's just a push your luck game you're Uh buying tiles putting them into a bag drawing them out until you you go bang basically um but it's gone down really well with the kids everyone's enjoying it that's a good one um it's not a solo game though um another good one that's gone well recently is wingspan i don't know if that's one you've come across I mean, that has got a solo element where you're just basically trying to compete and get the highest score against the game, as it were. Um, they're two recommendations that have gone down really well with us. 
if you're moving away from the sort of dungeon crawl, trying to get the role playing itch, um, they would be two definite recommendations from me. I mean, but there's hundreds, you know, you could see it all day. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Is there any parting thoughts you want to put out there? Um, yeah, I mean, all, all I would say is anyone that's not really tried more up-to-date board games that are, you know, big into role-playing, got family that don't want to do role-playing, um, and they feel that they're sort of spending time sitting in front of a computer playing online and not engaging with a family on, you know, Friday, Saturday night, uh, take a look at some of these board games. Uh, I think they're a great way to, you know, get the, the family round the table after Sunday lunch or w- whatever time you, you play. Um, and I think you can, um, there's some good learning for the kids, um, good social interaction, you know, you can get your friends together. Um, definitely definitely check out what's out there and and whatever your budget is there's there's games out there for you and you know your time frames short games long games you know covers everything so okay well thank you so much i appreciate your time appreciate your coming on and we'll talk to you again soon cool thanks well what's a board game podcast without an unboxing So, I will do a quick unboxing here, and then I'll let you all go. I know this is a super long podcast. I have a value mailer here. something from Amazon. And it is about a foot long by 10 inches wide, and it's kind of thick. So, let's see what's in it. There's a reason. I'm pretty sure this is... Oh, you know what? Holy moly. I was wrong. This isn't board game related, but this is pretty great. We're doing do we're talking about doing our Hammer Horror series, right? And these aren't Hammer Horror films, but I have the Vincent Price collection, five films: The Bat, The Last Man on Earth, The Jackals, Shock, and House on Haunted Hill. I have the House of Wax, of course, of Vincent Price. I have special for Dave. I picked finally. Picked up my Blu-ray copy of The Manitou, William Girdler's masterpiece. And I have, the the Manitou will be a subject of a later show, after we do a watch-along with Dave Aldrich, so he can see it. And then we, so this is good, I I opened this because The Manitou relates to Dave Aldrich. But, and I have the Vincent Price MGM Scream Legends Collection. Tales of Terror, Twice Told Tales, Abominable, Abominable Dr. Fibes, Dr. Fibes Rises Again, Theater of Blood, Madhouse, Witchfinder General, and Vincent Price Collection Disc of Horrors. So that's what I got in my unboxing. Some wonderful viewing material. And I'm going to go ahead and cut this episode short. Or, it's long, but I'm going to finish talking. <laughs> thank you so much, and I want to, th- again, thank Arfed for doing that wonderful interview. Hopefully it helped Dave with some ideas for some board games and some other folks with some ideas from board games. And next game, or next episode, I'll get back to the RPG stuff. Take care. As always, the best way to reach me is just leave a voice message on the Anchor app, where you can reach me on the Audio Dungeon.